0: Hi, I'm Adam Davidson. I'm here with Laura Conaway. Hi, Aurea. This is the Planet Money Podcast. This is our third podcast. And this time we're going to answer questions about this unfolding financial crisis. I guess I should say it is Monday, September 15th at 10 minutes to 3. Lehman Brothers is declaring bankruptcy today. The stock market is down considerably, but For all we know, other things have unfolded since we are talking now, but we think most of our answers will apply for the foreseeable future.
1: Yeah, we're rich in questions, Adam, and I'm just going to fire them away and you go fast. All right, right. I'm ready. All right, this is from Jenny, who says she's not in the banking industry, doesn't trade stocks, considers herself an average worker with average 401K, trying to pay back her student loan. Can you explain how the events of the weekend affect an average Jane like me, and how should I respond?
0: I would say the uh, events over the weekend, Lehman Brothers declaring bankruptcy, Merrill Lynch selling itself to Bank of America in a last-minute panic move, these don't really affect you and are unlikely to affect you in any serious way. They do, in some ways, make the whole global economic system feel a little less stable, and in other ways, they make the global economic system slightly more stable, which we can get into later. But uh, unless there is some global systemic crisis, which is unlikely but possible, unless that happens, there really isn't an effect for you. So I think unless you're curious about it, you can feel free to ignore it for now.
1: All right. Jenny, chill. From Reno. I feel very sorry. What are other firms doing? Why don't they help Lehman?
0: Well, firms want to make money, and so if there's a way to make money by helping Lehman, they would do it. They were asked to help Lehman. All the major banks in America were asked to help Lehman. They couldn't figure out a way to do it and make money. Put simply, firms are not in the business of helping people unless they can make money, and they couldn't figure that one out.
1: All right. Here's another one from Adam. From Adam to Adam. For those of us who belong to a bank that appears to be teetering on the brink, i.e. Washington Mutual, should we open up a new account and deposit our paychecks elsewhere?
0: If you have FDIC deposits in a FDIC-insured bank, you're pretty safe. Um, You probably won't even lose a few hours, or at the worst, you'd lose a few hours of access to your money. If you have things like a mutual fund or more complex instruments, you shouldn't lose those either. There is the possibility of a drawn-out process as there's reorganization and and shuffling around. So you shouldn't lose your money, but you might lose access to your money for a little bit of time. So, yeah, I guess it makes sense to, if, if you're worried about it, move to another bank. I don't think it's necessary, though.
1: Ted wants to know, how does this affect investment firms? He says, my retirement money is with Solomon Smith Barney and various stocks and bonds. Should I be worried?
0: You shouldn't be worried. You own those. If you are part of a mutual fund if you like I am if you invest money in a mutual fund then you are an owner of that mutual fund. Uh they wouldn't be caught up in any bankruptcy proceedings. You wouldn't lose the money. Again, there is a slight risk that you'd lose access to the money for a period of days or Maybe weeks, I guess, but unlikely if there was an untidy bankruptcy followed by a process of some other company taking over. But you should not be terribly worried. Of course, if you own stock in a company like Lehman Brothers, well, then your stock is worth a lot less or worthless.
1: What if you own stock in Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac?
0: Then you have lost your money. Will it come back? Uh, I guess there's a slim chance. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're talking about this period of time, getting through this period of time, and then the government has not made long-term decisions. Do they permanently nationalize them? Do they sort of set them on their feet and let them become companies again? I mean, the stock is worth so little, I can't imagine there's any point selling it, so I guess you might as well hold on to it.
1: Probably makes good placemats or something like that. Okay, what exactly – this is from Rada. Rada's got a bunch of questions. What exactly went wrong with Lehman's?
0: Um, the Lehman Brothers, like most of these big, big banks, has a lot of arms doing a lot of different things. They have, you know, trading desks that are trading stocks and bonds all over the place. They have um, sort of mortgage wholesale packaging arms that take mortgages, you know, buy a whole bunch of mortgages from um, from smaller banks and package them and then sell. Bonds. You should listen, I guess, to my This American Life story with Alex Bloomberg. Um, that, that explains that. It took us an hour to explain it all. So I'm not going to get into the whole thing now. What Lehman did, which is frankly what an what investment bank like Lehman is not supposed to do. I think of them as like a baleen whale. You know, they they kind of soak. Th- they move through the economy. They Use don't like
1: fifteen tons of plankton a day. <laughs> fi-
0: eating fifteen tons of plankton a day and 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 pooping it out the other side. If you think of a regular bank, you know the "It's a Wonderful Life" kind of bank, a depository institution. They take savings deposits from one group of people and they lend that money to someone else. Uh, bank of America. Most banks are like that, but investment banks are a different beast altogether. They don't actually have deposits for the most part. What they do is they're a middleman. They find someone else with money and someone else who needs money and they they marry them and they they tell them how to use each other's money and they get a little piece of the pie. So they're supposed to stay away from risky investments by just serving as a middleman to help two other people who one who has money and wants to make some interest and the other one who needs some money and is willing to pay some interest. Lehman did something that now seems pretty stupid. They held on to some of the riskiest assets these were and uh, uh, these were subprime related assets. The word for these particular kinds of assets in the industry toxic waste these are considered the least valuable most risky assets that there are. Lehman Brothers normally, you would think, would just sell those to someone else who wants toxic waste. And believe it or not, there are financial institutions that want toxic waste because it's high risk, but it's also high return. Lehman held on to them. We're not sure if they held on to them on purpose because they wanted them or if they just couldn't sell them to anyone. There are other things that caused their downfall, but that's the bulk of it. They took really big risks when they probably should not have.
1: Why did Merrill Lynch or Merrill need to go hunting for a buyer?
0: Well, if you remember, right after Bear Stearns collapsed, immediately everyone was talking about Lehman Brothers. Is Lehman Brothers going to collapse? Is Lehman Brothers going to collapse? This is the natural thing that happens. Whenever a financial institution or any kind of institution does badly, people start – extra; they they have extra scrutiny of all the competitors in that same area. So – When Lehman Brothers started on the road to collapse, it was clear that Merrill Lynch would be the next one up. A year ago, there were five major investment banks, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, and Merrill Lynch. Bear Stearns went belly up. Everyone immediately started talking about Lehman Brothers because they were the sketchiest one left. Lehman Brothers goes, they start looking for the next sketchiest one, which is Merrill Lynch. On Sunday, it became very clear to Merrill Lynch, the people who run Merrill Lynch, if Lehman goes belly up, everyone's going to assume we're going to go belly up. In addition, on Sunday, we learned that the Fed, the federal government and the Fed, would not bail out Lehman Brothers. So a lot of people thought they might bail out Lehman Brothers. Since they didn't bail out Lehman Brothers, they're less likely to bail out Merrill Lynch. Merrill Lynch is in a lot more trouble because of that. So that's why all of a sudden, out of the blue, on a day when everyone's talking about Lehman Brothers, they're suddenly also talking about Merrill Lynch.
1: So Merrill just saw the situation and said, let's run for cover.
0: Yeah. Otherwise, today, their stock would have likely collapsed and they would have faced bankruptcy as soon as today. These things happen so quick.
1: On a like note, still with Rada, why is AIG panicking?
0: You know, I'll be honest, and this is kind of embarrassing. I've spent so much energy on, on Lehman Brothers and Merrill Lynch that I have not spent enough time looking at AIG. So let's... Table that. Table that. Who's next? Well, AIG. <laughs> AIG. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you know, the the other two, Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, are considered pretty robust, pretty strong at this point. The other banks, by the way, the non investment banks, uh, you know, Bank of America, Bank of America, you know, hey, Chase. I mean, these people have they have real assets. They have these deposits. They are in a much safer situation. That's not to say everything's going great for them. You know, all financial stocks are doing poorly. There's risk, blah, blah, blah. But investment banks are a very special beast. What they really own at the end of the day is a bunch of really smart people and the trust that people have in them. They don't really have anything else or very little else. That's the core of their value. So once they lose that trust – they're gone. It's toast. But something like Bank of America or, or the many of the other thousands of banks in America are much safer because they have real assets, at least some of them. Some will collapse. There will be other banks collapsing. Keith. But hopefully not the big, big, big
1: ones. Keith wants to know about the Bush administration says it's famous for favoring deregulation, i.e. allowing free market forces to separate winners from losers. Has this contributed to the worldwide credit crunch deregulation?
0: Uh, This is a huge, huge, huge question and hotly debated. There's a lot of discussion about the ways that deregulation contributed to the crisis. I would say without question there was dumb regulation. There was regulation that wasn't as sophisticated as it should be. I think more versus less to me isn't helpful. You can have a lot of regulation that's pretty stupid. You could have a small amount of regulation that's pretty smart and targeted, um, but more appropriate regulation – Certainly, we need that. It's possible it'd end up being less. I mean, part of the problem is we have so much regulation. We have these dozens of, they call them the alphabet soup of regulators. You know, we have the comptroller of the currency and the SEC and the Fed. And, you know, there's all these different rules, all these different bodies, a lot of the rules going back to the 30s, totally unprepared for a world of really complex financial instruments dreamed up by Harvard physics PhDs. Um, so definitely we need smarter regulation and i think i think just about anyone would agree that this administration did not do a tremendously great job of moving that ball forward although it's not you know they'd have to work with congress it doesn't all fall on the administration
1: so you want to table questions from AIG for the most part, right? We have a couple here from people who are wondering if they're going to get their um, death benefits or four hundred and three b stuff. Table yeah, that? I mean, I,
0: I I will say, you know, not a lawyer and not a hundred percent sure of the law, but my my guess would be that they will definitely get their death benefits, and they will. I mean, insurance law is very very severe and it prevents – you have to – I used to – I briefly worked for an insurance company and I wrote about the insurance industry briefly. Um, You you have to have a reserve for all of your potential losses. Anyway, I I would not worry about that. There's a possibility of short-term disruptions, but I don't think that there would be a long-term actual loss of money.
1: Richard and Toby are requesting information about the last great bailout that occurred. Who and when –
0: uh, well, I mean the
1: SNL, the savings SNL and
0: Savings and Loan. The, I mean Bear Stearns, obviously. In 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 the recent past, the the, the SNL hedge course.
1: fund one. The great big hedge fund one. Well, it? ten
0: years ago, there was long term capital management. That wasn't. I mean, what happened there was the Federal Reserve Bank of New York did not actually put any money into the deal. They simply got all the leading banks together. So the quickly the story there was there was a hedge fund. It was some of the smartest people. In finance, I mean, several Nobel Prize winners—the people who basically created the modern financial system—they created this incredibly complex hedge fund that um, I, I don't want to get into the whole thing, but basically was leveraged, meaning for every dollar they actually owned, they were borrowing something like a hundred dollars and spread it all over the world in these really wow. complex trades. They thought that they had conquered risk, which is also what people like Lehman Brothers thought more recently. People seem to keep thinking they conquered risk and then collapsing soon after. So long-term capital management got itself into a position where they had their fingers in so many pies all over the world that if they went belly up, if they collapsed, it could cause a credit squeeze the world over. The president of the New York Fed at the time got all of the major banks together. Almost all of them agreed to help out. Bear Stearns was one of the notable exceptions. We said, no, we're not helping. Everyone else sort of created a process to unwind, as they say, long-term capital management's positions, meaning they would give them capital and give them time to calmly die.
1: So unwind equals die, huh?
0: Well, unwind – I mean, unwind can just be selling your position. Like if you owned a lot of – Amazon stock and you decided, I don't want to own Amazon anymore, you might say, I'm unwinding my Amazon position. If you're unwinding all of your positions, then, you know, you're, you're done as an investor.
1: A pair of questions from Marilyn. Is there a possibility of a run on banks? And what is the shadow banking system?
0: So there is a possibility of a run on the shadow banking system. There is much Whoa. less of a possibility of a run on the actual banking system. Let me explain. So, you know, we're, uh, Great Depression was, was – a huge crisis was caused be- by actual runs on banks. No bank in the world can survive a day if every single depositor showed up at their door and said, I want my money now. That's like that famous scene in – it's a wonderful life. You know, your money is in Laura's house and Sarah's car and Frank's business. So so no bank has 100% of its deposits on hand at all times. Otherwise, what would it be? It would just be a locker. So the the U.S. government created a whole bunch of devices to prevent future runs on banks, the main one being FDIC insurance. Basically, if you get nervous that your bank might run out of money, you know that the U.S. government's going to come in and make you whole up to $100,000 per bank. So um, so regular banks, it's not a huge worry. It started to happen a little bit with IndyMac a few weeks ago. Um, but the FDIC stepped in. It was a very orderly process. From what I understand, there wasn't a minute that the bank was closed without giving money to people. The shadow banking system, so the, the actual banking system – is is how historically investment works in America. Savers put money in their deposit account. The bank lends that money out. I don't know if you remember from economics class, the little arrow from households to banks to industry back to households. It's like recycling a can. Recycling a can, yeah. The shadow banking system is this whole system of investment banks where it's nobody actually is nobody is owning a deposit and then lending out based on that deposit lehman brothers is issuing bonds that are backed by a series of assets that are owned by merrill lynch and goldman sachs and jp morgan and deutsche bank and those assets in turn are controlled you know are are generated by the central bank of china and the central bank of thailand and some bank in England and another bank in Argentina. In other words, it's this system of really complicated financial instruments that move around the world without kind of clear. The, it's much less clear. It's much easy. It's much harder to for let's say a regulator to go to a book and look it up and say, "All right, this banking system owns this much money, and this banking system owns that much money." What happened to Bear Stearns is basically the modern day equivalent of a run on a bank. <laughs> it wasn't that. Bear Stearns ran out of money, it's that no major investment bank can survive a day without fresh capital. They're constantly borrowing money every day, every day. That's how they work, this short-term borrowing. And Bear Stearns lost the confidence of other people on Wall Street, and so no one would lend them money, and they went out of business. And the reason no one would lend them money is much like in a regular bank run – Everybody who would lend them money was worried that the other guy won't lend them money. And if the other guy doesn't lend the money and I do lend the money but no one else lends the money, they'll collapse and I'll lose my money. So it's a contagion, a fear contagion.
1: I'm going to give you a piece of homework and then i got a last question for you. This is from Pauline. This is your homework. Um, you wrote a piece today about Lehman Brothers in which you, you said basically that they were like the person who orders a pizza and can't pay for the pizza except it's not just that they owe money for the pizza. They also owe somebody a house. Can you just – Go dip back in there a little bit. There's a question from Pauline in there about why they owe somebody a house. Pauline, your question's coming. This is really hard. I want you to concentrate on this. This is from Neil. After all this, how can any sane or sensible American return a Republican president in the 2008 national
0: election? See, this one gets me confused. I mean, it it seems that people are very quick to turn this into a partisan thing, which seems to imply that Democrats wouldn't have let this happen. There's a great book about this subprime crisis and one of the first books that came out called uh, The Trillion Dollar Meltdown by Charlie Morris. I actually did a story about it for All Things Considered. And Charlie, who happens to be a Democrat, as it happens, but that doesn't matter, has this lovely beginning where he explains the roots of our current crisis. He goes – and it's a very compelling, very well-written account. He goes back to the Johnson administration, talks about how Lyndon Johnson – caused some of the – put some of the events in place. Richard Nixon contributed, Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan. You're getting the picture. This has – the crisis we are in now, I do not see how you objectively look at all the contributors and come out thinking, oh, Republicans, that's who's to blame. I'd say the Bush administration, I don't know, just roughly thinking maybe 8 percent of the blame – six percent I mean like that single digits wow. in my I think that um if you want to blame one person I think there's a very compelling case that Alan Greenspan is to blame a man appointed by both Republicans and of course um, Bill Clinton I think Bill Clinton bears a lot of the responsibilities here. And by responsibilities, I don't even mean, oh, it's his fault or it's Bush's fault or it's Bush's dad's fault or it's Alan Greenspan's fault. I don't think any one of these people sat down one day and said, oh, if I do this, it'll destroy the economy in 2008. Oh, what the heck? I'm going to do it. Nobody saw it. Nobody foresaw it. But people took irresponsible choices. Um, Politicians always, always put off tough economic Problems of today and push them off into the future. That's a political f- truism, whether a Democrat or a Republican is in power. Um, I, I, when I think through the Democrats and Republicans who are to blame, I have a very hard time even beginning to decide who, who's more to blame. I'd say if you want to blame someone, blame politicians. <laughs> Maybe that's a good idea. As a species. Oh, and blame yourself. I think, you know, we as citizens, we don't demand more responsible economics from our leaders.
1: Adam, that's the list.
0: Thank you, Laura.
1: Thank you for doing it.
0: That was fun. I hope it helped. And please send more questions to our blog, npr.org slash economy, or to
1: npr.org slash
0: money. npr.org slash money. You're right. And global economy at npr.org.
1: Yeah, I think we also now are planet money at npr.org. So many ways to reach us. npr.org slash money. Come get it.